I'm so happy to be with you all again this morning, and I am at an RV park in Huntington Beach. In this RV park, there are 99 spaces, and right now about a third of the RV park are considered long-termers, that they've been there over a month. And those are the people that I really focus on, um, the long-termers, people that are there um, some have lost their homes due to foreclosure. Some are going through a life transition. Some have, um, are rebuilding their homes because their home was burned down or flooded or with all of the natural disasters that have happened in the last few years. Some are there um, for work. We have a lot of migrant workers. There's a big power plant across the street that is being fully deconstructed and rebuilt and it's a five to seven year project. So we have a lot of workers that have moved their families into the RV park temporarily um, to be there for work. Uh, road work, traveling nurses, and I also have my seasonal people that come in. Um, I'm getting ready for my summer people to come in from the desert. And in the winter, of course, uh, people come in to get out of the cold uh, from back east. So those are the people I try to concentrate on. Of course, I'm there to talk with whoever wants to talk with me. I'm a pastor, right? You want to talk? I'm here. <laughs> um, but I really focus on the long-termers, the seasonals, and people that are going through transition because that's where I can really step in and try to talk with them and encourage them and give them a hope and a source in Jesus Christ, to walk with Jesus and listen to the Holy Spirit for direction and encouragement and hope and um, just a, for, a way forward in their lives. So that's what I do. I have a first Friday fun night barbecue where it's a barbecue that I have for anybody that wants to come in the RV park. And um, that is obviously my most well attended because it is a lot more laid back. It's not as churchy, if you know what I mean. So I have a lot of people come to the barbecue, which really, you know, when things aren't, you say, oh, it's not as churchy. God moves big time when there's a gathering of people and our heart is for the Lord. So in reaching out to community, the barbecue is the biggest um, draw of people. I also have a Saturday morning Bible study um, that I am teaching. And then um, usually once a quarter, I try to have a big worship service where there's music and singing and a message. And then the rest of the time, I'm walking around one-on-one -on -one talking with people and connecting with people. And that is almost the biggest thrust of the ministry, is that one-on-one -on -one time. I have an associate director that does the same thing as well. When we are walking around talking with people, we call it opens it up to what we call holy moments to where people really start to share what's going on with their lives and we can come alongside. And I live there like everybody else. I live in the RV, it has a chapel in the back, so when they have ants, I have ants. You know, when we have a, a mice problem, you know, we all have a mice problem. So there's the credibility that I live there among everyone else. And I thank you so much for your interest in learning about the ministry. I do have um, brochures out there that if you, this is our latest newsletter. If you want to pick one up, it's right outside on the table. And also, um, I have a sign-up sheet that I send out uh, prayer requests and, and updates. And the most exciting thing that has happened lately, and this was so wonderful, 
um, about two weeks ago, there's this young man now um, who came by. I hadn't seen him in a couple of years. And he grew up in the RV park with his dad, being raised by his dad. His mom was a drug addict and wasn't in the picture. And he was raised by his dad since about um, 12 years old. They lived in the RV park. And I obviously would try to visit them every other day to stay in connection, um, to be there for the son, to be there for the dad. They lived in this RV that was in such bad shape. Um, they couldn't run the water because it would leak. And they had to step on the frames of the RV because it was so rusted their foot could go through the actual floor of the RV. They didn't have a refrigerator, um, so they had all of their food in coolers. So I would go and, and really try to talk with them and encourage them. One of my partner churches actually bought them a refrigerator, which was a praise God. And um, what was so neat was this young man really struggled, as you can imagine. His dad was an alcoholic and would have panic attacks and couldn't breathe. And he came to me on several occasions because his dad was either suicidal and didn't want to live anymore because he just couldn't take it. He was out of work and couldn't take not, not being purposeful. And, or he would come to me because he was having panic attacks and, and couldn't breathe. Well, a couple of weeks ago, this same young man who had really um, developed in life, there's a nice young woman that taught him how to bake. Well, he ended up going to Colorado, and he is now a baker, and he has a wonderful life, and he came to visit me because he wanted to share how his life had turned out. And we talked for a long time, and as, as he was leaving, he pulls a $5 bill out of his pocket and puts it in my offering box. And I said, oh, Jonathan, you don't need to do that. I said, I'm just so happy to see you. He's like, no, no, no. He's like, it's not much, but I want to give something back because of all that you have done to be there for me and my dad. That was neat. <laughs> that was neat. Yeah, because it is—it's not an easy ministry <laughs> at all. Sorry, I don't know. I'm just—it's such a neat thing that God blessed me with because it's not an easy ministry. I've had my life threatened twice. There's people that come in that you know they see this young woman that's called by God, and you know people are people. And I have men that come on to me or this. And my hair was long before I had to cut it off because I was getting too much attention, the wrong kind of attention. And it's just, it's not an easy ministry. So to have things like that happen to where I see an actual fruit of what has happened, it was just such a blessing from the Lord. And I'm so thankful. And I'm thankful for you all um, coming alongside in prayer and encouragement and also June 9th, Jeff is actually going to be bringing a group with him on June 9th at like 11 o'clock um, to help me because I'm a one-man, I'm a one-stop shop. I do everything and I need a lot of help. And one thing I need help with is like painting the outside furniture that's rusting and cleaning stuff up and stuff that I never have a chance to get to. And it would be so wonderful if you want to come and help out with that. You can see Jeff. Um, it's June 9th at 11 o'clock. So hopefully you can come, and I'd be more than happy to share you, with you the RV ministry and give you a tour. So 
I also want to share with you the Chronological Bible. The Chronological Bible is what I teach out of and what I've been taking the RV ministry, um, RV Park people through, and also um, I've been a, a preaching pretty consistently at a church that I started sharing the Chronological Bible with them this year. What this is, it's a one-year Chronological Bible. January 1st, you start out in Genesis 1-1, and then you go all the way through the Bible by date, by date of readings. It takes about 10 to 15 minutes a day, and you go all the way through the Bible in the order of events and the timing it happened. So everything is in historical, chronological timing, which makes understanding the Bible so much easier. So I highly recommend you grab a chronological Bible, and if you ever want to join in the teaching with me, I actually um, try to video it. I've taught it about three times now, and I have videos online at rvministry.org, and all of this is in a, on a gray sheet of paper in your bulletin that you can go to rvministry.org and it'll tell you all about the Chronological Bible and I have my teaching videos on there. If you ever want to, you know, dial in or, or video in and take a look because that's what, this is my passion. I have two passions, reaching people for Christ and the Chronological Bible. So I get to share both with you today. <laughs> so the Chronological Bible, where we are right now, we are in week 15, and we start, it goes from April 16th all the way to April 22nd, and it covers 1 Samuel 22 to 2 Samuel 6, 1 Samuel 22 to 2 Samuel 6. So let's pray. Father God in heaven, I come before you in your son's name, Jesus Christ, by the power of your Holy Spirit. I thank you so much for your written word and all of the stories of, of people that have lived before us, that they, it's written down so we can learn from them and be encouraged by them and be warned by them. Thank you for your Holy Spirit-inspired word. Please let your living word speak to our hearts and our minds this morning as we dig deeper into your word to have a deeper relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. So what I love about the Chronological Bible is when you um, go to it, right? We are in First uh, and Second Samuel this week, and what I love about it is you have David. David is on the run from King Saul, and he will be hiding out in a cave, and on the run and fearing for his life and all of a sudden you open it up and it'll be a psalm. It's like opening up a David's journal that he's written down all of his heart's feelings and he's crying out to the Lord and all of the psalms are interspersed in the timing that it happened. So We just finished the period of Judges in the Chronological Bible. And the period of Judges is where the Israelites have really, they've kind of, um, 
they've lost their heart for God. They've lost their way for God. And in the period of Judges, what we are starting to notice is a cycle, kind of like how we go through in our own lives, is things are going really well, and then we kind of lapse off on our prayer and on our Bible reading, and then I'll, you know, we walk out from under God's hand a little bit because we think we have it together, that we can do this life, no problem. Things are going well. Then something happens that um, something bad happens with the Israelites. They became oppressed by another nation. Then all of a sudden they would fall to their knees and cry out to God, God, help us, save us. And God would bring in a judge, a warrior, to help them get back their independence and gain control of their lives and um, get their lives in order once again. And this cycle would continue over and over and over and over. But as the cycle continued, the Israelites, um, the cycle would become more and more that they would lose their, their ear for God and lose their interest in God. Israel would go through this cycle, and all of a sudden with the judges, you know, God had a plan of a theocracy. God set up his people, his nation, that God was their king. God was going to be their ruler, God is their source, and God is going to be their king. However, the Israelites started to look around at other nations and notice that they had this king that's a man, just like them, and they started to tell their judges, the people that would um, to guide them in life, and they would say, you know, we want a king like them. And the judge would be like, no, you don't. No, you don't. When you have a king, this is what's going to happen. And last week it lists all the bad things that would happen. And the Israelites, no, 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 we really do want a king. So finally, they pushed and pushed and pushed. And just like God does, sometimes he allows us to have our own way as a form of discipline. How long, I mean, how many times, and I don't know about you, but I have in times in my life that I've pushed, 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 that I'm like, I've got to do it. This is the right thing. And I, you know, I'm like, I know this, God. I know this is the right thing, right? And then I go out and do it, and it wasn't the right thing. That's kind of what happened with, with the Israelites, that they demanded a king. God gave them a king. Samuel was the last judge, and now as a prophet, was given, to, um, was given by God and was used to anoint and guide the kings, the King Saul and King David, soon to be King David. Israel's period of judges has given way to the kingdom under Saul. While Saul was physically qualified, he was not spiritually qualified, nor did he possess the character needed for the job. As a result, Saul neglected God's leadership and made several selfish decisions. Consequently, God was angered and sought his replacement, who was David. He desired someone who would listen and obey his voice. David did both. Thus, we read the transition between these two men and the resulting righteousness that swept through the land of Israel. The literal meaning of Saul's name is asked for. Of course, fit the situation that the end, at the end of the period of Judges, as the people of Israel asked for, or really demanded, having a king to be chosen to rule over them. 
However, Saul proved not to be what the people needed after all. The lesson here is to be careful what you ask for or demand. For we know least what we need most. How true is that? God knows us best. God knows our hearts most. We know least what we need most. Rather, we should trust the Lord to provide for our needs in this way, like King David did. It is hard not to compare Saul and David. Why had Saul failed as Israel's leader, and why did David experience success at every turn? Why did Saul cause God to grieve and grow angry while David pleased the Lord with every move? Through this process, one major difference became obvious. It all boiled down to being a matter of the heart. The bottom line was that while David sought the Lord with his whole heart, Saul didn't have a heart for the Lord at all. King Saul had no heart for the Lord. The basis of Saul's selection was for external reasons. He was what the people envisioned a king would look like. They looked around at all the other nations and their kings, and they had this vision of what a king should be and look like. His family was rich and influential, and he was tall and handsome. He wasn't chosen based on his character or spiritual zeal. God sought him out. God sought him out. Saul did not seek God. Thus, his heart was not set on the Lord. As a result, he did not obey God. His trust was not in the Lord. His trust was in himself and his own abilities. He even sought out mediums like witchcraft for guidance. Saul constantly repaid evil for good. He was cruel and unforgiving, and when he was confronted in his sin, he lied, repenting by word only. King David had his whole heart for God. The basis for his selection was his passion for God. He delighted in the Lord. He was always quick to seek his will and certainly careful to obey it. His conscience was active and guided him to righteous decisions. He trusted the Lord and had confidence in him. While Saul repaid David evil for his good service, David repaid Saul's evil with good. He was a man of his word, a man of prayer, and a man of faith. Though he would trip and fall many times because human is human, David was always eager to repent and be reconciled to God. King Saul could talk the talk of the godly. You would read in here, oh, bless you, my son David, and all that flowery talk. You know, you, you, peop, you know people come and they're like, oh, bless you, God bless you, and you're like, you know, because you, you know it's not coming from the heart, right? And it's like, oh, please, i got to go shower or something. No. <laughs> King Saul could talk the talk of the godly, but he couldn't or didn't walk the talk. He did not walk the walk. What God, what good is to be like him, all words and motions and no sincerity of heart, no genuine love or meaningful action. We would be an empty shell, a, a clanging symbol that is nothing but noise in the ears of God. 
Don't be one of those Israelites whose lips were God's, but whose heart was far from him. Have a heart for the Lord and love him with every fiber of your being. Who are you chasing? Just as noticeable as Saul and David having different hearts when it came to their relationship with God, so it was obvious that both men were chasing two different things. Saul was chasing David in more ways than one. He was chasing the likeness of David and the approval in others' eyes that David possessed. Saul was a very insecure man and was always just clinging and, and striving to, to gain a people's approval and to be number one. He was always chasing the security or significance that comes with that. Saul always had to be better than he was, impress more people than he already did, or do more than he could. And every time he tried to fit himself into someone else's mold, he never allowed himself to be molded by God. We have to watch that in our lives. Who are we looking to to be shaped and molded? We can't look at our horizontal circumstances and what are other people doing because then we just become a replica of them, which God created each and every one of us specific for a specific purpose. We have to look to God and our relationship to God for God himself to mold us into who he spoke us to be in creation. On the other hand, David was not chasing after the image of anyone except the Lord's. He was most interested in being in the likeness of him, as he did not compare himself to other mortals. He did not fall prey to the jealous game that befell King Saul. No, David chased intimacy with God, with great zeal and passion. And as a result, he found his security, significance, and contentment in him. The life of David versus the life of Saul. The life of David. David was God's kind of king. The life of Saul. Saul was man's kind of king. David was a man after God's own heart. Saul was a man after people's praise. David's kingship was eternal through Jesus. Saul's kingship was rejected. David was kind and benevolent. Saul was cruel. David was forgiving. Saul was unforgiving. David repented. When confronted, Saul lied. David was courageous. Saul was fearful. David was at peace with God. Saul was separated from God and very rarely experienced peace. We notice a key difference in Saul's relationship with God and David's relationship with God. As the scripture was read today, we will see that David, when you read the scripture, he's constantly asking God, should I go into battle with them? And he would hear yes or no. Should, where should I start? And he would hear the no. And he, I mean, he, it's almost like I had someone make fun of me once 
um, as I was a hospital chaplain, part of CPE is part of our ordination process. And um, there was a, a Jewish woman, there was different face uh, in our CPE, and the Jewish woman, she actually made fun of me one time because she said, do you ask God for everything? And I said, yes, because I have messed up so much in my life. I don't want my plan. I do not want my plan. I only want God's plan, so yes. I asked God for everything, and she made fun of me. She's like, so if we go to the cafeteria, are you going to ask God if you can have a cookie? And, you know, I, I just kind of brushed it off as she was making fun of me. And her being Jewish, I want to go and look her up and say, have you read King David? Have you read how many times he would ask God and he, if he could go in and what time of day and how many men should he take with him and where should he start? David asked God for every step of the way. And I'm so grateful for this week's reading because it has reminded me of that, that I have gone a little bit lapse in my own life, that I need to amp it up a little bit to start, start asking God and talking with God about every detail of my life. And I'm re-encouraged to do this, as I hope you are as well. Saul had a head knowledge of God. He had a head knowledge of God. He knew about God. David had a heart knowledge of God. Do you see the difference? A heart knowledge is an intimacy with God. It is a relationship with God that you think, no matter what, I want to be pleasing to God. It's a relationship, a heart knowledge over Saul's head knowledge. Saul drugged God along as an afterthought. In the readings, it would say, you know, he's about ready to go into battle, and Samuel, who is the priest, was supposed to do the sacrifice before he would go into battle. Well, Samuel wasn't there yet, and Saul was on his time schedule. He said, I'll just forget Samuel. I'll do the sacrifice myself. And he would drag God along behind his own plans. And I don't know about you, but I've done that in my life, and it never works out well. We have to put God first in relationship. Saul talked the talk, but didn't walk the walk or walk the talk. Eventually, Saul could no longer hear God at all and resorted to worldly ways in witchcraft to try to get answers. He even went to a medium in 1 Samuel 28.5 to try to bring up Saul from the dead after he had died because he didn't know what to do and he could no longer hear God. David had a heart for God and clung to God and put God first in everything he did. He would ask God before doing anything. He would ask God before doing anything and therefore had a deep connection and relationship with God. God even calling David a man after his own heart. David opened himself up to God's protection by fully trusting God. And we read over and over and over in the scripture how God protected David and provided for David a true loving relationship. Both Saul and David were very human and made mistakes. 
but we would notice a big difference in how they handled themselves and took responsibility for their mistakes. There is something that is called worldly sorrow versus godly sorrow. Worldly sorrow versus godly sorrow. Godly sorrow is an example of David. When he would mess up, and he's human, and he sure messed up, but we would see in his journal as we turn the page and we would, re we would open up his journal and read one of the psalms that he wrote, and he would cry out to God how much he messed up and how he is repenting and how he is wanting to be better, and he would cry out and ask to be changed. Godly sorrow is a repentant heart. It is a, boy, have I messed up. I want to take responsibility for this. I want to make it right, and I want to change as a person. Worldly sorrow, like Saul, worldly sorrow is, I'm sorry, I got caught. Worldly sorrow is, I'm sorry, I got caught. And it doesn't change anyone. It actually makes it worse. When we are walking with God, we are walking under the hand of protection of God. That is walking and being in sync with God. When we are doing our daily devotion, our prayer time, our crying out to God, reading God's scripture, we are walking in sync with God. We are walking under his hand of protection. It's whenever we walk from out of under God's hand of protection and we start to do things our own way that things go awry and we are not living out God's plan. The Israelites were prime example of this. They would walk out from under the hand of God. They were on their own and all of a sudden they were taken over by another nation. When we put God first and cling to God like David, we are in sync with God and he can use us as his instrument and that is where fullness of life is. That is where fullness of life is. I did not think up going to an RV park for a ministry. I had never even been in an RV. You see, in my life, God gave me a second chance at life. And in godly sorrow, I wanted to turn from my evil ways. Anything that is not being lived by God is sin and evil. And I wanted to turn from my worldly ways, evil ways, and live a life for God. Whatever that meant. And God took me and started to mold me and shape me to where my heart is for God because I cling to God. And my last year of seminary, this was about, I say this didn't happen overnight, this is about a 10-year process of Tamara's transformation still going on, still going on. It's about 18 years now. I want God's life for me, whatever that is. If it's at the RV park, if it's at a church, if it's talking to somebody on the street, whatever it is, I want God's life for me. Because I know that's where fullness of life is found. And that really is my message to every person I come in contact with. 
Cling to God. Ask God for everything. He'll tell you. And get that deep, intimate relationship with God. Be a man or woman after God's own heart because that is where fullness of life is found. And you too will have a heart for God. That's my prayer. Let's pray together.